0: Bill, 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 not the science guy. Bill, not the science guy. Science rules. What if we just, what if we just spent an hour saying Bill, 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 and that was just the whole episode?
1: <laughs> the whole episode is just Bill.
0: Yes, it's like those YouTube videos where it's like 10 hours of like, I don't know, rickrolling or something.
1: 10 hours of Bill.
0: Yes. I'm sure that exists. Oh, it definitely. I'm sure that exists. It definitely exists. Um, here, I'm gonna confirm that really quick before the episode starts, because obviously it's important.
1: It's very important. Um... Also, I might hop out real quick and grab my charger cable just because I'm feeling paranoid because I don't have it connected. I mean, even though I have 70% battery, it's just. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so BRB.
0: There, it's there. Okay. All right. I have confirmed there are many YouTube videos, um, which are ten hours, uh, in some cases one hour of Bill of Bill Nye's intro, uh, Bill Nye Techno Mix ten hours, Ooh. Bill Nye, uh, just Bill ten hours of just Bill, 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 as as uh, we predicted. So you could literally Is there spend... a, an
1: I'm just a Bill mashup?
0: No, there's there's one that's the whole intro, and then there's one that's just Bill, Bill, uh, Bill, Bill for 10 hours.
1: What about like a Bill ASMR? Bill
0: Nye, the science guy. Whoa. This needs yeah. to be made now. I hope you realize bill. Well, this is our next project, we're making this. Bill.
1: <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Can you hear that? <laughs> No, I'm trying. I'm tapping on my computer. Bell
0: nine. <laughs> Science <rules.
1: laughs>
0: We need like a Morse code version
1: too. I don't know Morse code. I might have just said something bad. I don't,
0: I don't know. <laughs> know what you, I have no idea. I don't really know Morse code either. But it should exist. Regardless. Um,
1: I'm sure there's an episode where he does that. Anyway. All right. So. So, let's get started, yeah? So, Ivy, what are we doing here? <laughs> what aren't we doing is the question. Yeah. So, this is Queries and Theories, where I, Ivy, and my friend Ron just explore whatever topic of the week that we have decided to uh, dig into. Um, And so Ron is an engineer, I have a humanities background, and together we ask each other questions based on each other's background. Yes, you can eat this. (laughs) 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 Was that really necessary? No,
0: just leave it in this
1: <laughs> <laughs> came in to ask if i had wanted she wanted if i she could eat the leftovers like,
0: all right oh, <laughs> okay
1: oh my god all
0: right anywho uh, so yeah this week we are going to be talking about bill nye the science guy particularly his um uh show back in the 90s which uh ivy and i and i'm sure many of you grew up with uh, you know, you know the one—the one we just sang the theme song to, um, because science rules. And you know, Bill is a uh, is a mechanical engineer by trade, but he is a pretty big fan of science and science education as well. And mm-hmm. he, you know, made a show with lots of kids and doing science and just making it entertaining for you know younger people, helping them get into science. I know for me um i got it was part of the reason i got into science not the not the only reason certainly but
1: yeah i i feel like bill nye like like there's always like the the meme you know the vintage like probably 2015 meme where it was like shows like a picture of a like bulky like mini tv and then like a vcr on like a rolling cart and then it says something along the lines of like you saw this in science class Mm -hmm. and knew that it was going to be a good day because it immediately (laughs) meant bill nye is going to be your teacher and so that means that it's just like elevated whatever like eighth grade biology class that you've had because it's like awesome i just get to watch tv for school right um which may or may not be a uniquely american
0: experience Uh, that's a good question actually um but yeah i remember like in sixth grade we watched a few episodes of bill nye we did watch the volcano one when we when we were learning about earth science oh that was really cool and then i remember just watching random episodes when i was a kid um, I forget which... Cha- was it on Nickelodeon? I don't remember which channel it was on.
1: No, it's Disney. Disney it's right. um, it's a Disney property. And, I mean, most of it's, like, what's really great about it now, and, I mean, a lot of, like, that kind of 90s public broadcasting is that it's, like, widely available on YouTube now. Mm. Um, so if you go on the Bill Nye website, you can go through the, the episode guide and just find materials for or relating to uh, the episodes And uh, along with, like, links to it, um, if if it's been posted. So, like, of course, like, the Volcanoes one that we're kind of going to look at today, that's, of course, widely available. But I guess, like, also, like, the Gravity one's really popular, mainly, I think, because Bill Nye just is throwing watermelons off a roof, (laughs) and that's, like... Instant comedy. <laughs> like, yes, I think pretty much everyone of every age is like watching things break. Like, I mean, that's like the the basis of MythBusters. To <laughs> be honest, I mean,
0: yeah, definitely. Like, it's so cool to just watch stuff like explode. In the episode I'm I'm going to talk about, there is definitely some explosions in them. So mm,
1: I'm excited. That's cool. Um. Um. So. God, What was my question for you today? It was basically like, I wanted you to kind of go through a couple of the different experiments and explain how Bill uses these like experiments and visuals to explain scientific context, excuse me, concepts uh, for like a, a kid audience. Right, so,
0: obviously, Bill has so many, like, fun and cool experiments that it's pretty much impossible to cover all of them in just one episode. Certainly. Uh, I want to focus on, I, what I wanted to focus on a little bit was sort of the way he designs the experiments in his show, and uses them to explain, like, fundamental concepts of science to kids, and even, like, young adults and adults, you know, because anyone at any age can learn science and mm-hmm. science is be inspired for by it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, after all, you know, science is happening all around us every day, but... It seems like most people don't really stop to think about, like, what's happening, or ask, like, hey, why does this happen the way it does?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It just seems like we take a lot of things for granted. Um,
1: yeah. I mean... Well, I mean... I, I think... I, I don't know. I think that, that like, that we can... Well, we'll get into that as well when we get to my section. Like, how... Mm-hmm. When we get to my section, we'll we'll explore that a little bit more. But, um, so far, uh, no spoilers. Right. No
0: spoilers for me. This is no spoilers. <laughs> um, Yes. But, um, what I was getting at is, like, or, no, this is what I want to say, uh, on the show, he sort of seems to have, like, depending on the episode, uh, like, a mix of, like, cool practical things, Mm -hmm. and just stuff that's entertaining, and fun to watch, and fun to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so in, in season two, episode four, uh, that's the episode about chemical reactions, and I chose that one to focus on specifically because, um, as he explains in the episode, pretty much everything everything that we can, you know, see and touch and interact with is made of chemicals mm-hmm. or the result of chemical reactions in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually goes a little bit into why I decided to go into material science, because both everything's made of materials in some way and making those materials as the best that we can is essential for ensuring quality of life. So, yeah. Um, that sort of I feel like that episode sort of resonated with me a little bit, because, yeah, volcanoes, they're friggin' cool, and that was a badass episode, but I figured, like, the Chemical reactant episode, at least in my opinion, and then another one that I'm gonna get into a bit later, uh, I think they sort of... Um, they sort of do a good job of summarizing, I think, what the show is about, which is, you know, making science, like, fun and accessible for people and explaining, like, why we should care about it. Awesome. So in this episode, I think he does a good job of explaining, um, in plain English, what a chemical reaction is. Um, it's basically just take two things, combine them, make a new thing. Excellent. Uh, or, and more scientifically speaking, it's just com- electrons combining with other electrons and... That create, or interacting with other electrons to create different sorts of reactions and chemical products and such. Yeah. So he does a couple of experiments at the beginning of the episode. Uh, one where he runs electricity through water to separate it into hydrogen and oxygen gas. And then another one where he uh, creates an electric current, runs an electric current through some steel wool. First in just open air and then inside of a chamber containing 100% oxygen. Oh, Oh, no. And, yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, he does Big that. Big thing.
0: Um, yep. Well, at first, he runs it through the air, and it's only about 20% oxygen. Mm-hmm. So, it just kind of burns up, you know? It's not, not the most flashy. But then, under the plastic chamber, it just goes poof, And the reaction happens way more quickly and violently. And, mm. um... I think he chose to do these these two experiments back to back because one of them you're adding energy to create a reaction, and then the other one you're uh, having a chemical reaction that creates a lot of energy. Okay. So, um, I guess it's it's sort of like to me that kind of stood out because um, he's kind of showing the different ways you can like. Know, chemical reactions can happen and different ways that they can, uh, the different results that can happen from them.
1: Okay. Uh, the yeah. first,
0: so the first reaction, uh, or the first experiment he does is known simply as electrolysis, which is basically just, um, adding energy to the system to break apart the water molecules. Um, and that forms the, um, the components of hydrogen oxygen. Mm-hmm. And this is known as um, a redox reaction. Basically, you have a... Um...
1: So, redox reaction. But, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm excited to hear about your your chemical reactions, one, since you are an MSE. So, you, you know, you have, like, the most direct experience with those kinds of things. So, like while you're looking for your notes, what exactly, like, was, would you say it was like an episode with Bill Nye that really got you interested in material science? Or was it just kind of, I don't know, something you already yeah. had?
0: So it wasn't really like that episode got me interested in material science. It's just that that episode reminded me of why I got interested in material science. Because, I mean, I remember watching Bill Nye a long time ago. I don't, Remember particular episodes by any means, mm-hmm. so uh, it's not like that episode kind of stuck in my it's mind but when I saw it. Whoa, dude! <laughs> I could make a career um, of
1: this. Ten-year-old
0: <laughs> and so was the birth. <laughs> Of Ron the scientist.
1: <laughs> I'm just picturing like a like a like a Frankenstein-esque like, and then there's like smoke and steam comes out, and you just come out with frazzled hair like Doc Brown, and you're like,
0: I'm great, be a scientist. Scott.
1: <laughs> that,
0: oh man, he surely should have done that in the show at some point. Um,
1: <laughs> he probably has.
0: Alright, so here's, yeah, I, I just had to find the exact um, the exact wording, so anyway, um, basically what happens is, when you have the electrolysis of water, it produces hydrogen and oxygen gases, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, you have to use what's an electrolytic cell, which is, you can kind of think of it like a battery, okay. and you have to have a small amount of what's called an electrolyte uh, in order to generate the current, because so the water itself isn't going to carry a charge very well. Um, you can use something like um, hydrogen sulfate, um, just anything that will um, create a reaction uh, or carry the charge, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you have um, a cathode, or a positively charged um, cell, and then an anode, which is... Um, sorry, cathode, yes. Positively charged, anode negatively charged. Yes. Um, just cut that part out. Uh, yep, no. So I- at the anode... At the anode, um, you have the oxidation of water into oxygen gas and hydrogen ions, and at the cathode, the water gets reduced to hydrogen gas and hydroxide ions. So basically, um, it's called a redox reaction because it's combining the words reduction and oxidation. It's
1: oh. Like okay. I just thought you were saying it kind of weird, so I'm, I'm glad that you clarified that. I was just like, I don't know if this is a Jersey thing. Like we're gonna go down yes. to the redox <laughs> like, yeah, with my redox. Yeah, we go down.
0: <laughs> yeah, we. That's, that's what we say down on the Jersey <laughs> at the Jersey Shore, the Garden State, <laughs> known for all of its now gardens. now known as the Redox State. <laughs> oh no, that's
1: terrible. <laughs> and
0: um, and that's um, basically where. Uh, that's basically, like, the main focus of this episode, honestly, because a lot of things in life are just oxidation and reduction reactions. Uh, for example, when we go into the... That's what I should
1: say. We go in... Um, just, like, whenever something goes wrong in my life, I'm like, well, it's just an oxidation reaction, so... You know. I mean,
0: oxidation is just, you know, what's wearing us down. Like, <laughs> that's what causes shit to rust. Oxidation? Eventually... <laughs> Curse you! <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, the uh, other experiment with the steel wool, that's, um an example of oxidation. Mm -hmm. It's sort of what happens when something rusts, but on a much more, on a much faster, more violent reaction, because you're in a pure oxygen environment. I mean, imagine if our atmosphere was 100% oxygen. You'd have shit lighting on fire all the time. Mm. Uh, Basically what's happening is the steel wool is is reacting with the oxygen Mm -hmm. in the chamber or in the air. And it's forming an iron oxide, similar to rust. Okay. Um, but again, much more force because you're in a high oxygen environment. Yes. Even if it was like 90% oxygen or something, it would still react quite violently.
1: Yeah, so it's basically um, like this. This uh, this experiment is just kind of like illustrating a concept in like the most visually appealing way possible by creating circumstances that are like hyperbolic, in a sense. Like, I mean, it's probably not often that you're going to have steer- steel wool in a 100% oxygen location, so, like, yeah.
0: But it is something you'd have to consider, like, if you, um, you know, when you have, like, a combustion engine, for example, you have to think about, that. that's another prominent example where that comes in, in cars. You have combustion engines, and you have to consider, like, you know how is my fuel going to react with the oxygen when I introduce that through the piston, mm-hmm. for example? So okay, it might not be a piece of steel wool, but it's still it's still a very relevant and important reaction to consider. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, and then with the with the electrolysis, um, he also has a little tidbit where he shows that there is in fact twice as much hydrogen as oxygen produced because you got H two O. And, you know, you might be thinking, oh, well, why... It's like, how can you prove that it's H2O? Well, there you go. When it splits, you have twice as much hydrogen as you have oxygen. Math. <laughs> that's yeah, that's I, all I have to add Pretty like... section. <laughs>
1: math. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought that, science nerds. rules, not math. <laughs> what did you say? Well, si- I said, well, I thought it was science rules, not math rules, although I guess... I guess it depends. Like, anyway, we're not gonna get too much into that. Uh, I'm not gonna go on a whole rant about math majors and the kooky stuff that they like to learn I feel about. like um, every
1: math major I've met has just been a very intense person. Like, they just live the life in like bold italics. Just everything is just like, <laughs> yes, I study calculus. And I'm just like, I I feel like there should be like like explosions happening behind them at all times. <laughs> like their brains are just working on a level that like I'm just not oh, on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they're just like no there there's like the um the beautiful mind memes or the galaxy brain memes just come to life. <laughs> yes,
1: that's exactly it.
0: And it's, it's not I study calculus, it's psh, calculus. What plebian mathematics.
1: We don't even deal with real numbers or fake numbers. We don't even have any sort of symbols whatsoever. We're just doing math in like... Well, 30- actually,
0: you think about it like The more math you do, the more variables you have. So you kind of like, it's almost like you circle around and become an English major again. Yeah, it's, that's... Because you're just dealing with all letters. Okay, some of them are Greek, so you're like, you're like a Greek and an English major. There you go. I
1: mean, that's basically the classics right there. And then if you want to get really technical about, like, the history of the English language tangent, um, you get a lot of Latin and a lot of, some Greek, (laughs) but, like, mostly Latin. Like, the history of the English language, this is going to be a big tangent, is really more the history Uh, of it being conquered a bunch of time, like, Britannia being conquered by, like, many different forces, be it, like, Knut and the Danes or the Romans or the French. Like, so we're not, like, you know, in the famous, like, ish text post, like, going through other people's languages and then just taking what words we like, it's just like a, a, it's like a living history of the various cultures that have influenced Britannia. So, yeah, that's, that's all of that. <laughs> but anyway, back to yes. science. Anyway,
0: <laughs> back to science. Um, So, uh, basically, yeah, that's how he <laughs> starts off the episode. And to me, again, I thought that that was really like a very visually interesting and Exciting way to kind of grab people's attention, make them think about, you know, what sorts of chemical reactions are going on, like, around us every day. Um, he also talks about, you know, like, chemical reactions, like, like baking a cake. And he, he, he talks to this guy who makes fireworks, and he talks about the different chemicals that go into making, like, different colors, like...
1: Like cadmium blue and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it's like tool and die and then fireworks. And like, yeah, that's really cool because it basically takes these very, I guess, like, you know, like very abstract seeming concepts and then grounds it in everyday life by giving real world examples that are both visually appealing in the form of fireworks, um, as well as delicious in the form of cakes. And so you kind of have those everyday examples um, that help us understand the the world in a way that, like, I don't know, I think science can sometimes seem very mystical if you don't understand, like, that science is an everyday experience.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think a lot of people sort of fall into that category where they're thinking, man, science is just so, you know, hard to understand and just so irrelevant to me. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, like, it, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, just how, like, how commonplace it is in ways that we don't even think about. Like, he also talks about, in this episode, um, some pretty common examples of two chemicals that are harmful on their own, uh, but they can actually be useful when they share their electrons and combined. Um On his Consider the Following segment, which he seems to have in most episodes. Um, So, you know, you uh, think about sodium. When you put it in water. Yes, put it in water and then it reacts violently.
1: Oh, you mean like pure sodium, not like sodium chloride?
0: No. Okay, (laughs) I was thinking like sodium. We're getting, we're getting, you're getting a little ahead of me, Ivy. Okay, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Building up. (laughs) filled up time. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, and then Back chlorine to gas. Think about chlorine gas. How god-awful that is, just yep. in general. Zero
1: out of ten. No Indeed. stars on no um, stars on Google reviews. <laughs>
0: um But then you combine them into sodium chloride and it's just ordinary table salt, but Have you ever thought about why the table salt isn't
1: actually harmful to you if the two components individually are? It has something to do with the... Is it something where they, like, neutralize each other? I feel like I vaguely remember that.
0: Yeah, essentially. um, What happens is they form um, not, like, a molecule in a traditional sense, like, where it's just, like, one sodium bonded with one chloride. Um, They do have an ionic bond, that's true, where a sodium and a chloride will share their charges you have a positively charged sodium negatively charged chloride but what actually happens is they'll form like a cubic structure where you have the you have like a network essentially Mm -hmm. of chlorine atoms or ions with sodium ions and each um atom is bonded to is bonded through Sharing of electrons and charges mm-hmm. to six other atoms of the opposite charge, yes, and that just sort of forms like a very large network and crystal.
1: So, you think about a salt, it's like a crystal, right? Yes, so that's where that's coming from, yeah. Fun, um, uh, and sorry, fun real world thing is I became uniquely mm-hmm. aware of salt being little crystal squares when I like, so you know, yes. I bake. And so I was trying to make banana bread, mm. and so I was sifting all of my dry ingredients, you know, my flour, or my baking powder, or sugar, things like that. And then I got to salt, and the salt wouldn't go through the sifter because of its crystalline mm. structure. So I had to just kind of, like, flip over the sifter and put it in there. So, there. Some fun real-world examples.
0: Ooh, fancy. Taking a <laughs> cue from the
1: Mr. Nye himself
0: also bill doesn't actually go into that specifically but um i sort of included that just because um i feel like what bill does a good job of is like kind of introducing the fundamentals um but he does it in a very like easy to digest sort of way like he goes into the why sort of but he doesn't go into the deeper details but that's okay for a lot of kids just the fundamental surface level is enough for them to really you know Get excited and hooked.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Because um, you don't want it to turn into a lecture. You know, you don't want it to turn into something that's going to make science seem boring. Um, he does. He he does a very good job of making it very like flashy and visually and um, audit- What's the word?
1: Just appealing. We can just go with appealing. appealing. I was
0: thinking like auditory, auditorily appealing.
1: appealing like auditorily appealing. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's, that's the we word. have to save that for the Bill Nye ASMR. <laughs> yeah. Get those tingles. Um, but yeah, um
0: that's sort of another point where I was trying to get to where um even though he doesn't always go into like full detail, um, or very rarely does, I think that he his his show seems to consist of very like short um flashy segments. Sometimes it'll be the kids doing experiments, sometimes he'll be doing them. And um I think that it does a good job of just making science very easy to digest. Um and I the episode where he actually talks about briefly about experiment design is actually season 5 episode 7 and it's appro- appropriately named uh, DIY science.
1: There you go.
0: So yeah, put that on your discord he... <laughs> Right? <laughs> um he emphasizes a lot throughout that episode where uh goods he, that good science is repeatable and that you can really do science anywhere. All you need is household items and a little bit of creativity. Um, one example, you know, he uses this also in the other episode too, but you combine vinegar and baking soda to make CO2 gas. Mm-hmm. And then you can't see the gas, but you can still. He makes, they have like a makeshift scale they made out of a broom. And then they have like a bag that's just full of air. And then they pour the gas from the reaction into another bag. And you can see that the CO two gas is heavier, and you know, is it a is it like something that's going to like come up every day? Maybe not, but I mean, CO two gas is present, you know, in soda, and you know, we kind of kind of breathe it out. It's kind of important for that respiration, you know. Yeah,
1: got oxidation and respiration.
0: Yes um even as simple something as simple as you have a glass of water you can put a card over it and pull and flip it upside down and the air pressure will push the card up as much as the water is pushing down on the card you create a balance of forces and that's just something again that anybody can really do (laughs)
1: um
0: and you he doesn't really go into the scientific method itself, where he's like, okay, what do you think is gonna happen? Maybe he doesn't, like, maybe he has some sort of audience participation yeah. kind of thing, where he, where he would do that live, I don't really know, but um,
1: I know that there's like the try it sections, so I think that that's kind of like, tri- like early on, it'll usually be about like six-ish minutes into the episode where they'll have like either Bill or someone else say I have like a try it section, like In the Volcanoes one, they're talking about like two bottles of pop. And then they're kind of talking about like how like temperature affects pressure. And they're like, well, we have like one, two liter in a bucket of ice. And we have one, two liter in a thing of water, like hot water. Like, what do you think is going to, you know, create a bigger reaction if we open it? Or like, what would pop open first and why? And like, I think that that's kind Mm. of creating... A moment where like the teacher assuming like it's being used in a class the teacher can pause and then be like okay we're gonna do something similar and that's where you could kind of use that as a jumping off point for i think going into the scientific method sure okay
0: yeah that's that's a fair point um yeah because i guess he doesn't really go over like like what's a hypothesis you know um what is a control that kind of that kind of thing but he does a good job of, you know, I guess, piquing your curiosity when it comes to testing out these concepts for yourself, you know? And then, when, and then like, you can kind of go back to the cake-making example. It's like, okay, what happens if you add more sugar? What happens if you add more cocoa powder? What happens if you add more baking soda? You know, what kind of reactions and things are going to occur? And how will your cake turn out differently? And he talks about how the baking soda, you know, is responsible for making the CO2 gas, which, you know, gives the, um, gives the cake, you know, it's like fluffiness and airiness. So you just, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like it's, it's sort of just like giving you a taste of science and not really like trying to like, you know, go into heavy details and, kind of bore you with it because i think he's definitely trying to i think he definitely has a clear audience in mind like maybe not like people who are unaware of science but people who are either discovering it for the first time you know in the form of kids or people who maybe haven't never really had much of a knack or an interest in it um maybe just because they weren't taught it the right way or they weren't taught in a very interesting way
1: yeah Um, and that's like not exactly I mean, just to break down something, like, complex into something a layman can understand is a difficult process as well. And I think, like, I think that sometimes you can be like, oh, well, it's stupid and it's for kids. It's like, yes, but, like, that's really hard to do and to do it accurately.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Even for my show notes, I was trying to, like, go through and be like, well, okay, I get what this is, but, like, how do I explain it in, like, a very, like simple way and, like, make sure that I'm, you know, I'm not just leaving it vague and just, you know, because there's always going to be another why you can ask. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that I kind of I was trying to make sure I had those bases covered and then I could really explain in a way that was, like, understandable and not just kind of, like, brush it off. Yeah, I mean, it's kind
1: of like what we did in our, like, second episode when we were trying to explain or explore this idea of multiverse theory, which is, like, a a very like abstract theory and so like even then you know still working back and forth there was still like a difficulty in explaining that specifically so yeah Uh, But, yeah, that, I think, segues a little bit into
0: what I was thinking about asking you. So, um, one thing that I was always thinking about with the Bill Nye show is, you know, we talked about earlier, like, Bill Nye's the teacher. Oh, boy, it's going to be a good day. Like, um, what sorts of, I guess... I'm trying to remember the
1: exact way I worded it, so like the exact... What you asked me was, uh, uh, and well, because we, we kind of went through a couple iterations with this question, where you're trying to kind of explore the way that Bill Nye, the science guy, the show, has either changed or influenced the way that we do science communication for kids, right? Is that, that's basically what I got from it, so like, if you had a different question, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, no. That's that's basically what I'm what I was thinking is, um, yeah. How did how did Bill Nye and other similar programs, you know, influence the way that we did science education? Um, and how does it really compare to this, you know, more conventional scientific education?
1: All right. So, um, what I'm going to be referencing, kind of when we we talk about uh, science education, I'm I'm going to be pulling from. A couple like scholarly sources that one being just kind of an overview of like science education and broadcasting, um, and then another being one that is kind of talks about how science education has changed how we conceive of science, um, as well as just referencing some interviews that Bill Nye has given. Along with, um, I watched part of like the early part of the PBS documentary um, called just Bill Nye colon science guy um but that's more about like his debate with ken ham and um kind of his more later work and i mean maybe we'll get to that um but the biggest thing to like understand when it's kind of like asking a question of like how bill nye the science guy changed science communication is that we kind of need to set up what science education looked like, at least in the form of like television and broadcasting, um, so that we can kind of talk about the various evolutions that it's gone through. Um, And so perhaps like one of the easiest and most direct uh, antecedents to Bill Nye that you could kind of say, um, so like there's a couple really, but like one of course is Carl Sagan's Cosmos, um, just because of its its popularity, and then of course now Bill Nye is the CEO of uh, the Planetary Society, which Sagan started. Um, so there's obviously that direct link there, and um, several like through lines between Sagan's work and Bill Nye's work now, as he kind of talks about like client si- um, excuse me, climate science denial and things like that, and ev- anti-evolutionary uh, creationist Belief systems. There, a lot of that draws from um, Sagan. Um, but before that, um, in an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson for uh, Star Talks with National Geographic, um, Bill Nye talks about uh, Mr. Wizard or Don Herbert. I don't know if are you familiar with him.
0: Uh no, I've never heard of him before. Yeah,
1: I think that it's gonna be one of those generational things. Um, so because I also had to look him up. So uh, Don Herbert or Mr. Wizard was a show um similar to Bill and I in that it like was basically about like explaining science principles using a- everyday examples. And so that started kind of a little bit in like the fifties. Into like the early 60s, and then was revived in the 1980s by Nickelodeon. So Nye himself cites that as an influence and talks about how you know he got his start doing science education by being a stand-up comic. So he would basically be a mechie um, in the daytime and then do stand-up routines with demonstrations. That kind of laid the bedrock for the show um and so kind of what i went where i went from there is and i might have to send you a bunch of youtube clips because it's kind of fascinating Mm -hmm. to like watch well to watch the ways that science education has evolved um and so i guess the point that i'm kind of going to leave you with or i'm going to try and leave you with with this question of like how has bill nye the science guy changed science education, um, part of me, somewhat, like, it's hard to say if he changed it, or if it's rather, as a cultural product, reflects the values of the time it was made. Um, And so, it's not so much that—it's not to say, like, like what Bill Nye, the Science Guy, did, is not valuable. I mean, it's it's won like I think what 14 to 16 Emmys. I mean, it's you know still a household name. So to to say that it was not influential um, would be you know would 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 not be accurate. Um, I guess what I mean to say is that Bill Nye the Science Guy is like actively responding to changing attitudes about science and who gets to do science more specifically. And we'll get into that as we go along too. Um, sure. So I'm going to kind of go backwards in history a little bit. And so this comes from um, Kenneth P. King's educational television. Let's explore science uh, from the journal of science and science education and technology um, in 2000. And so what that is is basically an overview of uh, science and science education and how it got started. Um, So the history of science education as we think of it is more or less the history of television and public broadcasting more specifically. Um, So it really started to kind of take off and get its legs, like in terms of like instructional education. All right. I'm going to restart that sentence. So, basically, since the dawn of television, people have been trying to find ways to incorporate it into ext- instruction. Um, first by seeing like whether or not instructional videos can replace teaching, which is, of course, with like varying degrees of success, not exactly, I would say, would be uh, the general consensus i mean i don't know you know with how many people have complained about zoom zoom school i i don't think that it's it's just it's not the same
0: um it's really not like just um not to cut you off but it's like you know with um with whiteboards and chalkboards and just getting to write things out and have someone in person actually like talk to i guess it's just our brains aren't really wired for like virtual interaction you know I mean, you know, it is useful for visual aids and things that you know might not be necessarily repeatable in a classroom setting. But yeah, I agree that like it's it's also just very distracting. I don't know. I don't know if it's just the, the the blue light and just the the visuals that are just kind of narrowing your attention span. But I just feel like when I watch a video about something, um in a classroom is just not as useful as having like someone in person explain it to me
1: yes definitely and i think that like there's that and there's also something to be said about the importance of demonstration um and also kind of though i think it's kind of falling out the vogue a little bit you know this idea of like people learn in different ways like you can learn like kinesthetically by like by doing learning by doing or like you know not everyone can learn by seeing and so like you know, with this Zoom school and stuff, like, I mean, it is good in the sense that, like, people who, you know, might not normally be able to have instruction all the time because of disabilities or otherwise, you know, this is a good option, and I'm glad that, you know, now we can kind of, we've formalized it enough that perhaps more disabled people will be able to, you know, telework or go to school that way. But at the same time, there is... You know, attention with you know trying to teach a class and also be your IT person at the same time, and vice versa for students mm-hmm. and for for parents as well. Um, but to <laughs> roll back from that beautiful tangent, um, so you know they've it's so basically. They identify educational uh, broadcasting—that is, Hockridge and Robinson in a 1982 paper identify the four characteristics of educational broadcasting being that its programs are arranged in a series to assist cumulative learning, Um, they are explicitly planned in consultation with external educational advisors, Um, they are commonly accompanied by other kinds of learning materials such as textbooks and study guides. And fourthly, there is some attempt made to evaluate the use of the broadcast by teachers and students. Um, So that's kind of laying out the groundwork for how we understand science education today. Though I think like in terms of like coming with supplemental things, um, they tried to do that with Build On the Science Guy and like providing kits for schools. But um, as we see routinely, and I mean, it's just kind of this perennial issue with, you know, education is getting materials to underserved schools is a consistent problem. Um, and so that kind of drives the need for everyday examples that we see regularly in Bill Nye because they're just cheaper and then they're readily available. And so like that kind of ties back into that episode you were talking about, because like maybe not everyone has like a working Bunsen burner in their school.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Um... Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely like a plus where – I mean I feel like those kinds of underserved schools, um, they might not have the the tools or the the faculty to really like make science, you know, accessible or interesting to students, which um, may be why there's um, unfortunately not as much enthusiasm for science um, or just STEM in general as um, – as I think many of us would like and as much enthusiasm for just scientific concepts and or much like, you know, broad understanding of scientific concepts in general, which can lead to unfortunately a lot of misinformation, but
1: that's a whole other thing. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. Like if we want to get into just science literacy in the United States, like that's big, big topic. I would love to talk about that more, but I, I, I don't think that, um, unfortunately I just, I don't think that I have the scope, um, for that, that, like, level, like, I would probably need, like, a month of research, maybe more, to, like, even try and get into that, because there's so many different, um, interrelated factors that have led to the science gap that we see today, um, but once again, trying to, like, return back to my notes, um, so basically, like, the first long-standing, like, a lot of the first long-standing science educational broadcasts were fairly regional, um, and so they would be available through, like, radio, of course, prior to television. Um, there was always, like, radio instruction, um, and then I think, like, one of the best, uh, examples of a very early and long-standing, uh, Early and longstanding science education show is uh, what was produced, um, let me see here. So, the, the, the longest-running series was TV School Time, produced by Iowa State University, and it ran for about 22 years. And you can still find this, too. So this ended in 1974, and it started in, like, the mid-50s. Um, and it's oh. really incredible. It's it's such an incredible artifact to watch these episodes. I might send you them, because it's just... What you have in, like, this beginning episode, the one that I watched anyway, anyway was, like, about printmaking. And, like, it's such a cultural artifact in that it's, like, you look and, like, the camera pans in, and it's just, like, this white guy just being like, Oh! Hello there! Today, we're going to learn about printmaking, and the boys Mm. here, boys specifically, Mm. are just, like, only -only, male-only, white-only kids, um, are going to, like, teach you about printmaking. And, you know, because, like, there's no reason to make art unless it's a use, Unless there's a use for it. <laughs> We're going oh, in to man. talk about the various uses of printmaking, and I'm just like, wow, this is like, peak oh, utilitarian, like, post-war sentiment, and I love it. Because it's just like, <laughs> and like, kudos to like, the Special Collections <laughs> Library. Um, At Iowa State oh, for man. digitizing all of that because that must have been a bitch. I'm just saying because that was film. Mm. So yeah, so I'll, I'll i I wow. have them linked and I'll have them linked in the show notes too if you want to just go through and do a little time capsule of how science education has changed in America over the last like century. It's it's really fascinating. So yeah, school time TV, um, and that was like. This little art, this little nugget that I got to find out about because of this episode. Um, and so, what you kind of ran into with public broadcasting is because it didn't get reached, like formalized into national public radio or, P- well, the public broadcasting system, PBS, until the 1970s. Um, basically, the quality and length of these productions varied with whatever state or regional broadcasting system had available. And so this, the history of science education is the history of public broadcasting, because the 70s is really when you were able to reach a broad audience um, in terms of distributing materials, and you just had more funding for things like public broadcast, like science education. And so... Let's see. So from there, we can kind of move into talking about uh, Mr. Wizard, and that's kind of where you get. It almost looks like. Sounds like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: It sounds like some kind of Mr. Clean knockoff. Like you can't get, you can't get the grime off of your kitchen sink. With Mr. Clean, well, have you tried Mr. Wizard? (laughs) He'll clean twice as many stains in half the time. With
1: science.
0: (laughs) Yes, with science. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so um, Mr. Wizard, i.e. Don Herbert, got his start in radio as well um, after serving as a pilot in World War II And so he was, I think, in, like, the Chicago area, I want to say. And so he did those earlier broadcasts as Mr. Wizard, and then, like I said earlier, came back in the 1980s with a syndicated show with Nickelodeon. Um, And so his are, like, once again, like a little time capsule nugget of, like, 70s to 80s education, in that, like, his... Are they, they first of all? They include children, they include demonstrations to children, um, and they basically like often feel very unscripted. Um, there's an element of like it looks like the set or wherever they're working is like a kitchen area. Like, they're literally the one episode I watched was about like nitrogen, and like he's like, Well, all right, there, Bobby, why don't you put that uh, flour in this this liquid here? For a little bit, and then you're gonna hit it on the table. And then like the kid does it, and he's like, Wow, how does that work? And it's just like, and then he goes through and he explains it. And so, like, you're getting more of a hands-on approach to science, real-world approach to science, um, but still kind of seeing this continued depiction of science as very men-only. Um, I don't I, I could look at more examples of Mr. Wizard. I'm I'm sure there are probably some more girls there. But as for, like, who is producing the majority of science education, the hosts are largely white men. Um, And this is a consistent problem that even continues with Bill Nye, um, even though it does change a little bit as well. Um, And so once we get to Bill Nye, we kind of Let me see. We kind of see how shifting attitudes towards like what science means and like who gets to do science have influenced the creation of the show and the production of the show. Um, so in the Thrill of Everyday Science, Images of Science and Scientists on Children's Educational Science Programs in the United States by Marilyn Long and jo- uh, Jocelyn Steinke. Um or Stinka, I don't know. I don't know how to say her name. I'm doing my best here. But anyways, it's, it's a, a journal article kind of talking about how they compared... Um, well, they viewed five episodes of Bill Nye, Mr. Wizard, and um, I think it was Beekman's World, which is another kind of zany and more child-centered uh, show that was kind of concurrent with Bill Nye. Um, it featured, like, the crazy scientist with the big hair and all the gags. And
0: stuff. <laughs> right. I think I heard of that. I don't really remember, it though.
1: Oh, one thing I wanted to mention before I got to that though. So I'm going to just I'm going to put this right back in. But between um, Mr. Wizard and Bill Nye, you have another 80s show which is equally fascinating and the intro, the intro is amazing on its own. And that is called 321 Contact. And so that features a cast of primarily, like, high school-age kids, and it kind of functions like how we would think of a narrative of, like, an after-school show, where you see these kids kind of trying to explain and figure out concepts. Um, And so that's where you're starting to really see, like, instead of it being this instructional, like, you know, man in, like, TV school time from Iowa explaining to his students who are sitting sitting in desks the importance of printmaking, you then move to, like, science is every day, and science is cool, and science is something you can do with your friends. Like, you don't have to be this, like, you know, this lofty, like, ivory tower person to enjoy science. Um, And so that's where, that's kind of, like, that another little little step in our timeline of science broadcasting. Um, And yeah, I'm going to just send you all of these. Like part of me kind of wants to make a mashup of the like first three minutes of each of these, just so we can talk about and like visually see back to back how science education has changed along with like cultural attitudes and attitudes about like what entertainment should look like. Um, It's just, it's a, this has been a fun, this has been a fun research week for me, so. <laughs> um, yeah, so getting back to that um, Longensteinke article, so they looked at five episodes, and they kind of outlined, like, previous preconceived images of science and scientists and media um, those being like science as mysterious or magical, um, kind of like you could say, like Nova or the cosmos, kind of being that way. Uh, the depiction of science as dangerous. Um, they use the example of like Jurassic Park or 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, science as truth, which is going to come in, uh, into play, especially once we get into things like climate denial. Um, As we move on a little bit later in the science education timeline um, and like how it's kind of, you know, depicted as this truthful thing or this like set of facts that you do not really um, you don't really refute, basically, um, as opposed to kind of like a process Um, science as solution to problems scientists as omniscient kind of going back to that science as truth and science is mystical like you know you have this talking head person who seems very brilliant and all-knowing um they give the example once again of like nova episodes um and things kind of talking about how they talk about science um and what they found um there's like a few other ones but those are the ones i'm going to just mostly focus on but what they found as they looked at these new shows is like not only does it kind of some somewhat refute or support these earlier perceptions of science, but also they found new ways that these shows showed science as as fun um using like instances of actors enjoying scientific activities, uh, instances when the science is portrayed as a fun activity, there's science as part of everyday life, which we've touched on multiple times, just talking about the various experiments, Um, and then finally that science is for everyone. And so you have uh, instances showing people from diverse ethnic groups, age groups, genders, participating in scientific activities, references, to anyone being able to conduct at-home experiments. And so what we can kind of look at with Bill Nye is that Bill Nye is very much like... Like, if you say science is fun, science is for everyone, um, and science is every day, that sums up Bill Nye the science guy. Like, the fast editing, the cartoon sound effects... Um, the humor and using real-world examples like the pop bottles or the steel wool, using common household objects, that allows us as viewers to see science in our everyday life. Um, And it invites us to participate in those experiments by using everyday objects to prove concepts. And so, in a sense... That is where it's it's different um, than earlier science broadcasts, but it's also kind of responding to the same problem, which is as they kind of talk about when they're trying to introduce television and um, instructional broadcasts into the classroom, the consistent issue is um, kid, like teachers just not having basically not having the science materials to follow along with that or or not having access to adequate materials um additionally with bill nye the science guide you also have the technological side um as well because in the past like Prior to VHS and prior to videotapes, you would you would kind of have to like time up science education broadcasts within classrooms with air times, and so once you could have that you know clunky VHS tape that you could just play and replay as much as you want to, that really freed up and allowed for the distribution of science um, science educational broadcasts in schools to just proliferate at a speed that it perhaps was not possible beforehand. Um, And even from there, you can kind of explicate onto, like, now you can just go to, like, YouTube and see thousands upon thousands of examples of science and things like that, and and just see Bill Nye for free, and, like, you know, most schools now having computer access and Wi-Fi access and a projector, at least. Um, It just makes it easier to access these these episodes, and I think that's part of like, that's kind of part of why it has such longevity, um, along with like that idea of brand familiarity that we kind of touched on in episode three uh, about Pokemon.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, like, I guess like now there's like you said like infinite examples of ways videos and do-it-yourself videos and things you can view on youtube whereas before you know maybe people could make videos of that but it probably wouldn't get very much traction yeah um yeah so now like it is interesting though that we do seem to like pivot back to you know the classics like bill nye or Mythbusters, just because we are so familiar with the brand and it's so ingrained in us even though there are now like millions and millions of content creators who could you know theoretically replicate even though even if they're on like a lower budget.
1: Yeah. Um, definitely. And so in that way, like Bill Nye is kind of a continuation of a trend, unfortunately, where you still have the scientist as white male, um, like kind of being the the, the basis. I mean, even though like, you know, they did, you know, have a variety of people in that very 90s kind of way, like, in the the very 90s kind of, of, um, 90s liberalism kind of way, where, like, you know, everybody's a big family, you know, like, that, that kind of thing, which, like, I mean, you know, like, I'm sure that there are plenty of things that we can talk about in terms of representation and inclusivity, And diversity now that we will be looking back on with a little bit of cringe, um, including using the word cringe in that way. So you know, we have dated ourselves just within this own podcast. I I hope you know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's true. I mean, we are part of you know the we are part of media now. So, however small, however small, like. Uh, I mean, like, you know, it's kind of like the amount- You- you as a person do pull up the entire planet Earth, even if it's by such a negligible amount. So, hey, it's something-something.
1: Definitely. Um, so, kind of what I wanted to do was, after kind of talking about that, and talking about, like, pre Nye to nigh era to, like, post-Bill nigh, um- you you do have examples of at least when i was like looking on like netflix cuz like we we kind of want to separate um like television shows versus internet media because internet media just opened the floor to everyone and so like now you can find like representation and science education from a variety of people like as you were talking about just on youtube alone um or crash course for example you know you have a variety of hosts Um, and not all of them are white guys with glasses, so, you know, that's a plus. Um, but two examples that I had from just perusing Netflix and seeing, like, what the kids are hip with these days. These days. (laughs) um, Kids
0: these days with their TikTok. TikTok's actually another example Although I don't know. I feel like social media in general is kind of a mixed bag with that sort of thing, but that's again a whole different topic. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, it's just like the thing that's difficult with the social media environment is that it it amplifies the voices that get the gets the most reaction rather than the voices that are often the most accurate because nuance yeah. cannot usually fit into like 150 words. Nuance doesn't get people angry, Ron. Like, no one has a frickin' bumper sticker that says nuance like no one i'm
0: well i'm gonna make one and it's gonna be good
1: <laughs> we'll put that in our non-existent merch shop it'll just say nuance.
0: <laughs> non-existent Thursday. until now oh
1: shit okay
0: <laughs> available for only i don't know how much are we gonna charge for this like
1: i i don't know i feel like 399 is fine <laughs> maybe less Sure. Th- however i don't know how much yeah. a bumper sticker goes for anymore I don't know. Maybe just stickers. Uh, Let's just start with stickers.
0: Stickers, and we'll we'll do, like, we can do t-shirts, stickers, you know? I wouldn't mind having a merch shop, just as a little aside. Okay. Eventually. Maybe not now, but, like, okay. eventually. All
1: right, all right. We'll put the, we'll, 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 uh, we'll take that little nugget and put it away for, in the admin file, um, as we, as we continue to grow and go on. Yes. So in the post nine world, we had this show by Netflix um, called by um hosted by an uh, Indian-American girl named Sahana. And I was watching the first episode. Their, her first episode was actually on uh, social media. And so, like, kind of continuing with this idea of, like, science is for everyone, science is everyday, science is fun, you see a lot of similar techniques to what was used in Bill Nye in the terms of, like, sketches, like, comedic sketches, um, fast editing, flashy visuals, things like that. But you also see, like, using social media to talk about, like, how social media affects the way we view reality is like that is a very everyday and real world example of something that we wouldn't necessarily typically consider science um but is a, a scientific thing like um in, like, the early part of the episode that I had watched, um, she talked about how she had, like, a cute photo of a cat and then, like, a cute photo of a kangaroo. And one had, like, 12 likes and one had, like, 1.2 million. And you kind of have this, like, guy-on-the-street thing happening where they see, like, who likes which, like, who do they consistently, like, what do random strangers like more? Do they like the kangaroo thing with 12 likes or the cat with 1.2 million? And what they discovered is that what affected what people liked or not was not the photo themselves or the composition, but rather the number of likes, because they switched it and then the opposite was true. And so it's like, once again, kind of like a similar experiment to what you saw in Bill Nye, where it shows and illustrates a concept um, very quickly and in a way that is understandable. So I'm... That's
0: interesting, wow. Um, I guess it makes sense, though. I mean, people do tend to jump on bandwagons, so...
1: Yeah, like, that whole... I, this is why I'm sad that it looks like... Because, like, the show was debuted in 2018 and it looks like it never got renewed past the first season. Um, I wish it did, because I, I just found, like... I don't know, she had, like, a really good energy and I, I, thought, I thought it was really interesting. Like, I was like, wow, I never even thought of that. But, like... I don't know, any sort of, like, deep dives into, like, social engineering and social media is totally my bag. So definitely something i would be talking (laughs) about later. Um, Another example that seems to be getting more success is Emily's Wonder Lab. Um, So this is led by Emily, and um, it's definitely geared towards younger kids, I'd say, a little bit more. And then it's it's also um, more heavy on, like, demonstration. Like, for example, the clip that I looked at was, like, oobleck, and, like, making oobleck and talking about non-Newtonic fluids. Um, Non-Newtonian, thank you. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Um, and so that one, I think, seems to be continuing. Um, what... One interesting thing that I thought um, is that Emily is, like, visibly, like, pregnant while she's filming that, Um, which maybe doesn't seem weird to you, but, like, it's very rare for, like, pregnant women to be shown doing things on television aside from being pregnant. Like, they're typically not shown, like, working. (laughs) And so, like, that was really interesting to just kind of be like... Hmm. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. So that's kind of the post-ni landscape, but like once again, it's it's really hard to say. Um, I can say just from a children's literature standpoint. Um, especially within the last 10 years or so, there's definitely been a push for more um, representation of women and women of color specifically within STEM, just to kind of address the the consistent issue of Uh, A lack of women and people of color in those spaces. So, yeah, um, that's kind of where we're at with science education now.
0: All right. I mean, it's pretty cool that they've, you know, they've got caught up with the times. They're not, you know, still all white male nerdy guys in suspenders with glasses, I assume. Yeah. Do they have suspenders
1: um I did see you some don't really glasses. Sell it with the suspenders. But I don't know about suspenders. I don't think that Nye had suspenders. He was more famous for the coat. Like his um his blue coat's in the Smithsonian.
0: I swear he had suspenders at some point. Maybe that's just my imagination. Let me look.
1: I'm sure he's worn them at least once.
0: Oh yeah. Lo and behold. In the meat. that's what I'm thinking. It's in the- you know that meme where he's going like Science or that gif where he's like, w- like he's like waving his arms. and There's like I don't know, lightning or something or light in the background. Mm-hmm. I'll send it to you. It's really, it's a really cool gif. Okay. But he's wearing suspenders in that, so I guess I just figured he was wearing them all the time, even though he
1: really wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean he could have been. He was wearing a coat, so anything is possible. He could have been. He did have a bow tie though. Yes, the bow tie. The bow tie. Like you know, kind of playing into the Poindexter kind of stereotype there. In that case. Um so Ron do you want to do the outro today or did you have any final thoughts? We can just round up on that like anything you want uh, to say. Oh final
0: thoughts. Um yeah, science rules. fail 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 Um all right, that's been episode 4 of Queries and Theories. Uh be sure to um follow us on Instagram and Spotify
1: and are we doing Facebook at some point? Uh-huh probably i don't know i i'm I'm Mm -hmm. sure it wouldn't be a problem we'll 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 get it um follow us on facebook asterix yeah there you go um (laughs) and so you can find us where other podcasts are available um still kind of waiting on distribution for apple Podcasts, but that takes some time um but otherwise we should be pretty much everywhere um the music is by Gildan Bass, um, the art is by Aubrey the Betting Bug, um, that links below to everything we've talked about, and to their music and art as well.
0: Alright, I'm Ron, this is Ivy, and this has been Queries and Theories. Science rules! How did Bill Nye and other similar programs, you know, influence the way that we did science education, um, and how does it really compare to this, you know, more conventional scientific education?
1: Um, so hold that thought because I have to pee, but I will be back after I pee, <laughs> <laughs> and then I will answer. That uh answer. yes, we
0: will be we will be back after this short commercial break. A short
1: commercial break. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs>